about them Irish. I can't take it anymore. I need a national championship. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. And we are back. I'm Dylan. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. And I'm unfortunately joined with Steve. Steve, how are you today? Just kidding. I don't care. Um, <laughs> I'm also joined by P-Wagon, the one and only. But I, I, don't, I don't even care what he has to say either because the real treat today is that I'm joined by the geniuses behind Notre Dame Football Analytics on Twitter, Cooper and Jack. How are you guys today? Doing well. Yeah, happy to be on the pod. Um, thanks for you guys for helping promote us and help us grow. So it's been it's been exciting and excited to be here. Yeah, yeah, super excited to to get into the numbers today and take a look at the Clemson game. Absolutely. So I'll I'll start with you, Cooper. Um, do you just want to let the audience know kind of who you are, what your background is? Yep, definitely. Um, so I graduated from Notre Dame last year in 2019. I majored in business analytics with a concentration in finance, financial accounting. I work in Chicago now as a financial analyst. Um, kind of how I got started with analytics um, at Notre Dame during my junior and senior years. So from 2017 to 19, I proposed a project through the Notre Dame Sports Analytics Club, working with the hockey team. I played hockey all my life, so that's kind of why I chose hockey. And um, eventually got a meeting set up with the director of hockey ops there, their head trainer, and they were on board and got a few students to join with me. Um, so basically what we did was, um, without getting too much into details and revealing too much stuff, but um, they have a, a data file every game that produces about a thousand rows of data. And before they were, before we joined with them, they had an intern go in and basically just copy and paste a huge Excel file together, which is very basic stats. So we were able to go in using um, some software programs, give them more detailed um, statistics, analytics, basically trying to identify optimal line combinations, defensive pairings, players like that, and worked a lot on the power play and focus and worked with the coaches on that. Jack and I met um, during our second year working with them, uh, the 2018-19 season. So that's how we met. And then um, July this year, I was just bored and kind of looking for a sports outlet, kind of bored with work and found um, a data set for college football data and started a Twitter account, reached out to Jack and kind of my former teammates with the hockey team to just like kind of promoting it. Jack showed some interest in joining and um, we've kind of been a tandem working on it and it's kind of taken off from there. And then we joined up with One Foot Down, the SB Nation site, um, about a month after we started. So it's been pretty fast growth and pretty exciting. Yeah, that sounds good. I, I Usually the making fun of accents is mine on this show, but I can tell you from the Midwest, by the way you say hockey. Yeah. Got, like yeah. the hockey going on. So <laughs> Yeah, from Michigan, um, played hockey since I was... Uh, uh, th- three or four years old so yeah it, it kind of no chance there for me yeah that's fair um so yeah the the nd stats account is how you guys got in it so jack i'll ask you just same thing what's your background and how'd you guys uh, meet up to, to to form this twitter account yeah so i went to notre dame i graduated uh last may in 2020 i also played hockey my my whole childhood and joined up with cooper on the the analytics team uh my junior year and, you know, Cooper was always the hard worker and the one that was doing the heavy lifting. But I was helping a little bit and me and a few other guys were, were on the team supporting him. And, yeah, like he said, he reached out to me just kind of looking for a 
support on the page, just kind of like following the account or whatever. But I had some free time and thought it was a really cool idea and just reached out to him and asked if he needed any help. I don't have the the coding skills he has, but I have the the free time and willingness to go back and watch the games and, and file all the plays and, and do the writing. I wrote for the newspaper and at Notre Dame covering sports. So uh, had a little bit of a background with that, which helped when, when One Foot Down brought us on. And yeah, we've just kind of been been working like that ever since with Cooper doing most of the coding and, and me doing the kind of play logging and writing. Yeah, well, I, I know I've been complaining about this with Steve for ever about the lack of any kind of EPA-driven analytics uh, through Notre Dame, barely in, in college football. And it seems like this offseason there was a, a bunch of you. So when I saw that, I got a hold of it as much as I could, tried to get in contact with you guys. And, and I think here we are later. Both of our, our accounts are growing pretty quick. Um, so I suppose for the audience, Notre Dame won last week, in case you weren't watching, uh, 31-13 over Georgia Tech. The Irish come in ranked fourth. Um, and uh, Steve or... or P wagon. I don't know if I should call you by your real name or not. Um, Do not. Either of you guys have anything to to say, Steve? Uh, yeah, <clears throat> it's been eight weeks, and I've yet to see a single one of my teams lose a football game. Life is good. We expected a win. We got our win. Uh, once again, we pretty much thought it, it it was what we thought it was going to be, and we pretty pretty much predicted it pretty pretty closely. So, uh, yeah, I'm just a happy go lucky type of guy today. So. Uh, Mr. Wagon, your thoughts, sir. I went to a wedding, or I was in a wedding, not my own, on uh, on Thursday. Uh, so I started drinking on Wednesday. Uh, so by Saturday, I had no emotions left. And I'm glad the game went the way it did. Or I, I don't know how I would feel today. Uh, so it was one of those games where I saw the action on the screen but I didn't react at all. It was a very like calm game. Usually I'm yelling about Ian Book's shitty footwork or you know, stuff like that. And this game was just perfect. Uh, so it was a great hangover game. I'm not going to drink all week to prep for the Clemson game. Uh, you're welcome, ND. I'll do what I can to help you guys win. And uh, that's what I got. So you heard it here first, folks. If you want to get through Notre Dame football, you have to get blackout drunk so you feel nothing. That is the only way to watch this football program. over. All right. Um, let's get into why you guys are here. Uh, this is a stats episode. It's the biggest week of the year. Clemson. We're, what, 10 minutes in and finally have said Clemson. Um, but let's get into some basic analytics because it's hard to talk about, um, especially when you don't code, which is where Steve and I are at in terms of our knowledge of things. Um, so we want to get you guys on here. You're the experts. I'm going to ask you some just some basic questions ND football fans might have, and you can kind of pitch to them why they should actually care about analytics and why they're relevant. So first question, what is EPA? Yep. So I can, I can take this one. So EPA stands for expected points added. And basically it's trying to account for all the important context that basically a lot of fans don't think exists in statistics, but account for a lot of different contexts and assign success or failure on each play um, looking at a points perspective. So basically it's easy to think about if, as assigning points in a game after each play rather than just a scoring play. So a one-yard touchdown for a running back at the goal line, he might get six points in, in reality, but it's not really worth six points because he's expected to score. Or the team's expected to score probably six and a half 
6.6 points in that situation. So it's just trying to better account for those statistics. It takes into account down, distance, time remaining in a half, if it's a two-minute situation. Um, there's some other metrics or kind of variables in there that I'm not, I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, just trying to account for uh, more context with the stats and kind of take away more of the empty stats that kind of happens with yards per carry. If it's a third and 10 and a running back picks up six yards, it'll boost his yards per carry number and make him look efficient, but it's not really a successful play. Jack, did you want to get in there? No, no, that that's definitely important. I mean, I think that that's in some of these games where Kyron Williams has had huge rushing stats on a ton of carries, you know, 150 yards looks like it's workhorse production and like it's, you know, leading the Irish to victory. And it helps, obviously, to have yards. It's how you score. But it's not as efficient sometimes as people like to think it is. And it can lead you to some kind of flawed conclusions as to how our touchdowns actually happen. Yeah, yeah. Just one, more, one more thing to add there. So you have like a limited set of plays and downs and you can think of it as like kind of like an economics perspective. Like Think of it as money and you have a limited number of money to spend. And how can you best maximize the kind of profits you're going to get from each dollar that you spend? And 150 yards sounds like a lot. But if you're running it 50 times to get 150 yards, it's not as productive as if you're throwing it 20 times. So it's kind of like a... a easier way to think about it in terms of you have a limited number of plays. How are you going to maximize your plays? Excellent. I should, I should start by saying um, one of us on this call does not believe in statistics at all. So this is kind of your <laughs> opportunity to pitch towards them. Um, <laughs> he, also, he will be the person doing our film breakdown on Wednesday. Hopefully um, wagon Wednesday might make a big return. Um, so that's more of a eyeballs kind of guy. So that's kind of the, the audience I'm trying to get you guys to, to preach to here. And I, th- I suspect that's a lot of our audience as well. So second question, why should we use EPA, especially compared to other stats? So it's, it matches up really well with actual point differential. I've tweeted out a few times, just ACC, each team in the ACC broken like a scatter plot, which is just actual point differential on the y-axis and expected on the x-axis and it's basically a straight line between the two so it it predicts the actual like outcome of the game and pretty well and it matches up well with the eye test at the extreme so you'll identify the top three teams going top three teams going into last week in passing epa were alabama florida and byu alabama and byu have two of the most explosive offenses in college football and then florida has a good scheme kyle trask isn't really a guy who pushes the ball with the ball well downfield but um, they have a lot of yards after catch on the plays and a lot of explosive passing plays via that route so it matches up at the extremes really well but when you get more into like kind of the average and um, good teams and not so good teams it gets kind of muddy and um, account like looking at that looking at EPA kind of provides for better context there and um, especially when the differences in talent is not are not um, that big I guess. Yeah, predictiveness is is the key thing I've always thought, too. And you see that in baseball analytics a lot, too, which, I mean, that's a plethora of stats, and the best ones are the ones that are best at predicting. Um, So, uh, what, third question here. Um, And and this is just kind of a reference we've talked about on the show. Um, Steve has a great memory, actually, so he could do it off the top of his head. But what are good... EPA numbers for passing and running, just to give a kind of a, a context uh, frame of reference for our listeners. Yeah, so I would say any week where Book is up over 0.2 EPA per play, that, that's a really solid week where we're moving the ball efficiently. Running is often even less than that. Point, 0.1, 0.15 EPA per play, I think is a, a good baseline for the team to kind of hit every single week. 
Running is more difficult because a lot of games, teams will scheme, Louisville, Pitt, will scheme and load the box, bring corners off the edge, and that makes it really difficult to to run. So in those weeks, even if running is around zero and it's not costing us anything, if we're able to really throw for .4, like really gaudy EPA totals like Book's been able to do in those games, even that, I think, is is satisfactory if we're holding our own in the run game and it's allowing us to take advantage of that in the pass game. And Joe Burrow had what's considered one of the most successful college football seasons by a quarterback last year, and he averaged about 0.6 EPA per play. So that's elite level play over a course of a season. If you're putting up 0.4 over a game, 0.3, 0.4, you're getting very good production. So that's just some context there. And uh, if I recall correctly, I think discussions we've had, Tua was in that season about 4-5, correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, and where was Book last week, guys? Book? Let me pull this up real quick. He was about 0.48, I want to say. 0.45 on 33 dropbacks. Just for context, we include scrambles and sacks in pass in the dropbacks because they are passing plays. But 0.45 EPA per play, 8 yards a, a dropback. The average depth of target was only 5.3 yards, which is one of his lowest of the season, and it's not surprising. A lot Didn't really push the ball that far down the field, a lot of crossing underneath routes, but it was one of his most successful games from a production standpoint. Yeah, and there was a lot of a lot of talk about how Book and Dracovic's EPA per play had kind of we, we tweeted out that they had lined up exactly to that point. Um, Book had an awesome weekend and and pulled away from him a bit, and he's up to 0.28 EPA per play, which I believe is a, around the neighborhood of last season. So he started a little bit lower. He's had great momentum lately, and from an EPA perspective, he's really picked up the level of his play. Yeah, and I think we're seeing that too. In uh, we use QBR because it's just available right away, and we're seeing that he's he's closely approaching his 2018 stats, which is what we've been asking for. You know, we don't need Book to be a Heisman; we just need him to be kind of at that 2018 level. So I'm asking you a question. I think you guys probably get a lot, or at least you've heard a lot. Do you think football is played on a spreadsheet? <laughs> it is. It is not played on a spreadsheet. We got a um, a person commenting the last couple of weeks who don't think likes our content but asking if we've ever watched a football game or played the sport of football competitively but it's not played on a spreadsheet but there are ways to kind of look at um i think from a bigger picture perspective is kind of what we're um our kind of stances and kind of looking more at the grand scheme of things of what leads to successful football and you can tell based on um the successful um, teams in football their run down run pass splits it's over a course of a season, I think it's more telling. And game to game, um, kind of performance and is pretty noisy. And there's you you get too lost in the trees if you're going to look at evaluate every game and every play with the same level of scrutiny. I think. Yeah, and one thing I think too is is film study and subjective coaching from coach coaches who are obviously experts is critical. Traditional stats even have their role as well. Um, analytics is just another tool in in the bag. And I think that, you know, when you use it in tandem with film breakdown and other statistics, I think it's really valuable. I, I think that, you know, it does it is not the end all be all. You certainly could not coach Notre Dame's football team with just what we put out there. There would be no way to use just the graphs we make to coach the team successfully. But I do think that totally bypassing these statistics in favor of just purely the eye test and purely more traditional stats is just leaving a stone unturned that I think when you're trying to take any possible edge you can take on a Clemson or an Alabama, you know, you got to turn every stone over and use every tool in your bag. And I think that that's kind of what analytics are. They're just another tool in the bag. 
Yeah, and I think that's an excellent way to put it. And what's mind-blowing is that you'll see this multi-million, billion-dollar franchises in the NFL and especially in the NHL. This has been a huge issue. I've been resisting analytics for, for quite a long time, and you, you just question why, right? It's just a, it's a tool you can use. You don't have to use it, but you can have it there to give you some more contextual information. But uh, what you said actually leads in good to the next question. Um, what are some bad stats to use when evaluating performance? So you guys probably get this all the time. Someone will quote you some number, perhaps throwing accuracy. Um, and, uh, and can you just so explain some of the, the ones to avoid when you want to evaluate someone yeah so per game totals are kind of useless in my opinion for the same reasons we talked about earlier it's more about you want to see on a play level basis because it's more dependent on how many touches they get um, per game total so a guy could rush for 100 yards per game Leonard Fournette in the NFL did this in his rookie year with the Jaguars he averaged under four yards a carry everyone knows that's bad if you like show that statistic but if you only see 100 yards per game you might think he's a like a bell cow kind of game changing running back so per game totals are not super reliable. Um, the other thing I would avoid is yards per carry in college football. If you're just looking at the box score, it's so dumb. But they include sacks and um, in rushing t- in stats in college football. And if you just want to kind of improve like your ability to kind of analyze statistics, just basic ones, even like yards per carry, rushing stats are a joke on the box scores. They're pretty irrelevant. So for rush for running backs, they're fine. Oh, shoot. For running backs, they're fine, but at quarterbacks, it's tough to evaluate. And so I would ignore those, especially for books totals, that they're just going to be skewed by any sacks he takes. Yeah, that's good, Jack. Do you have anything to to supply to that, or was uh, was that perfect? Yeah, no, that's that's about right. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I've heard too. Um, passer ratings, another one that the NFL people hate um, because it doesn't quite it's tell really the full story. <laughs> it, it, yeah. Google um, the formula if you're if you're interested. It's it's the weirdest thing in the world. It's not intuitive at all, and it makes no it makes no sense why it's out of 158.3. The components aren't are just kind of made up. And it's if you if you want to confuse yourself like for 10 minutes, just look up the formula, and you're gonna understand why it's not really accepted by um, analytics people. Perfect. So the next uh, two questions here are going to be just common misconceptions that maybe football fans think, and you can kind of explain why they're myths, for lack of a better word. So why do teams who run the ball more win more games? Yeah, so I I can take this one. So running the ball more leads to more games over the long haul. But if you see how they got to um, the big lead and why, like when they're running the ball, it's because they pass effectively early in games and are up by a lot and are then running the clock out to try and just uh, shorten the game, get their guys off the field. They don't need to score any more points. So a team like Clemson against Georgia Tech, for instance, I'm sure they had good rushing statistics. I didn't don't have it off the top of my head, but Trevor Lawrence had one of the best halves of, in college football that in the first half of that game because they threw the ball really well and effectively. And then were able to run the ball at the end of the game because they didn't need to score any more points and they just wanted to run some clock. So, so what you're telling me is Trevor Lawrence is a Heisman candidate, but Travis Etienne might not be. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. Running. So one thing too is like we're in the NFL. Running is generally inefficient. In college, it is efficient, and we're we're not people that are at college level at least saying running backs don't matter because the level of athlete. It's there's a huge disparity in athlete athleticism from. Notre Dame versus a Syracuse versus a a group of five team. So running the football can be efficient, but passing is what's going to lead you to wins in the long run, lead you to championships. You can just look at the last few years, who's won national championships. There's been teams with star quarterbacks. So, Yeah, and I mean, you could definitely see that um, if you look 
back at some like QBR and like the top five. It's yeah. exactly who you expect it to be. Um, so last one for me before I open this up to to others. Um, should we run to set up the pass? I mean, there's running obviously has its place in our offense because when teams load the box against us, it gives us an opportunity to throw. And we've seen Reese adjust to that in recent weeks and be able to have success throwing against teams that are bringing pressure. It's not necessarily as clear cut as that, though. I mean, there's no we don't we don't believe in establishing the run or running the ball on first down to to stay ahead of the sticks. And that's something that EPA kind of adjusts for is that, you know, if you run the ball on second and 10 to set up the pass and you get yourself into third and six, that's really a failure. You're, you're not that much more likely to pick up third and six than third and 10. Um, so, you know, you don't need to run to to set up the pass. You run to have some balance to your offense and and take what the defense gives you. But that's the most important thing. It seems obvious, but really, if they're going to load the box up, throw. If they're not, then you have to mix it up and you can re- mix the run in. Yeah. And I'll add to that real quick, too, that NFL and next-gen stats have looked into this with play-action passing, and linebackers and defenders are always taught one of their first keys is to defend the run. So that's what they're looking for, um, the first thing they're looking for when identifying a play and trying to decide if it's a run or pass. So until that's changed, you don't need to run the ball effectively to set up the play-action pass. You need to run the ball and establish a threat that you are going to run it. You can't be like Mike Leach with Mississippi State or Washington State and throw it 80%, 90% of the time because teams will just drop eight back in coverage and just sit because they know you're not going to run the ball. But you need to show the threat of the run, but you don't need to run the ball well to set up play action. And instead of running to pass, it's really you should be passing to set up the run because if you can pass the ball effectively, teams will have to drop back more men in coverage, opening up more space for your running backs with lighter boxes. Perfect. Well, thanks, guys. Um, uh, P-Wagon, do you have uh, something you want to get in there? Or Steve, sorry, I got I got the hand mixed up because it, it went over his box. Um, Steve, you jump in. Yeah, no worries. So, uh, so Coop, are you telling me that play action is an effective strategy <laughs> to actually try to freeze the defenders and get your uh, your receivers open? Is that an efficient play? It is the most efficient play in football. A play action pass followed by a non play action pass and then a run. But yeah, a play action pass is the most efficient play in football by far. Do you have a direct like line, uh, almost like a some some might call it a DM, like a direct message over to a certain man by the name of Thomas, last name Reese? <laughs> we don't. But after the, I think the Duke game, we were big advocates for it, and um, kind of coincidentally, the South Florida game. I think the first try was five of seven play action passes. So I don't know if he follows our account or not, but maybe he's maybe he has it in his search history. Um, I have an open DM with him. <laughs> we got a bunch of we got a bunch of uh first name bunch of numbers accounts that follow us those could be anybody uh, tommy likes uh to eat the chicken minis from chick-fil-a we talked about it one time uh coincidentally before clemson uh so little backstory about me coached high school football which isn't a division one level uh for four years actually one of your uh nd uh colleagues, a peer, whatever you want to call them, uh, was my quarterback. And we ran the Gus Malzahn spread option offense. So I ran the analytics for the majority of two seasons when we ran this offense. Would you say, I know, I know we're all for passing. That's fine. I can get over that. I'm a run guy first. I'm an offensive lineman. When you have certain uh, RPOs and, and stuff like that, 
could you see a time where the RPO would be more effective in setting up run first and then throwing those stem routes? Or are we saying that the numbers are purely saying that you should pass first before you run? Yeah, so we're, we don't have any um, numbers on RPOs. I don't think we have a good enough background on that to dis- make distinctions between play action or RPOs. But I, I think that would be more of a gray area. I don't think that's as a um, kind of set in stone, black and white kind of picture, just because they're so quick hitting. So you're forcing the linebacker, whoever's in the position to like either take the pass or defend the run to make a very quick decision. So I don't think it's as clear cut. And I don't, I think there are definitely situations, especially at college, it's not as where the at level of athletes are. Um, there's a very wide level uh, range of athletes where it's not as clear cut as the NFL, where you could just say you should just throw way more often, but you should throw more often. But an RPO is, I think it's a different situation. And I, and I don't want to put out an answer that I can't back up. That's my biggest uh, sticking point, And I've yelled at Dylan about this before as well. I'm an RPO guy first. Uh, I believe that if you have that read option off with the, the end and then you have a tight end sitting like Michael Myers sitting right in front of the linebackers. Yeah. Thank yeah. you all, all day. I'm okay with that. Uh, and when you run, I don't think analytics and you can debate me all you want on this, the analytical piece has its place, but at the same time, I'm one of those guys who say, you know, play on the field, don't play on the spreadsheet, like Dylan said before. So he took my argument away there. And really, you know, I think this conversation has made me come around to parts of it. So I'll admit that right now. Uh, but definitely, I, I'm all an advocate for running the damn ball, especially when it's raining. Uh, if you can incorporate that stat anyway, I just want to get that out there. Uh, when it's raining, you really should be uh, be running the ball. That's yeah, we don't. Yeah, we nice. don't have weather data, so don't have that available. I'll, work on that. I'll get it over to you. <laughs> So I think uh, we can move on to probably Georgia Tech right now. So, Steve, I'll get you in. I know no one wants to hear you speak, but um, it's your turn. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding, buddy. Um, what are your thoughts on the game? They don't hate nobodies, and uh, this somebody is undefeated all the way. <laughs> so and I'm just riding high off a, a hell of a Steelers win. But anyway, focusing on the most important thing here, uh, which was our victorious Saturday down in Atlanta. Um Our defense is just absolutely astonishing. Offense did what it had to do. Uh, They pretty much played the way that we expected them to play. I think Coach Reese had a couple of of lapses in uh, in his play calling. There was also some brilliant moments, and and it was exciting to see certain players get touches. I know Chris Tyree was averaging like nine and a half yards a carry. Would have hoped to see him a little bit more uh, in favor of Saborius, although I do love Zebo Flemister. But I could nitpick all I would like. All things considered, I'm just so, so, so hyped up about this defense. They are the real deal, and it just stinks for the remaining 124, 125 other teams in college football that don't have Kyle Hamilton on their football team. Our son, our prodigy son. Um <laughs> P-Wagon, I'm going to go to you. Um, I know you were numb for the game, so do you just have anything to contribute to this section? Uh, If you do, go now. (laughs) The internet was all about the 260-pound punter for Georgia Tech, and he was garbage. I just want it to be a reminder. I haven't listened to the last couple podcasts, but Jay Bramblett is the best punter in the country. Uh, We stole him out of Alabama. He is going to be our punter for four years. I love him. And uh, that's all I got. 
See, the biggest revelation right there is not that. It's the fact that you haven't listened to the last few episodes. <laughs> as as a member of this podcast, I think you have a duty to boost our numbers. So I'm going to be on you on that one. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, going around the clock, Jack, uh, what are your thoughts on the game? Anything you noticed in particular? I mean, it was a great game for us throwing the football. And, and one thing I wanted to point out, and obviously, um, you know, the sample size is small. Ian Book was really good outside the pocket in this game, and that's an area where he struggled essentially all season. Um, he was averaged 1.03 EPA per play outside the pocket, 0.48 inside the pocket. Um, so he was good inside the pocket. It's not a it's not a criticism of that. But all season pressure and being outside the pocket it really caused him to struggle. And in this game, he had a few really athletic finds outside the pocket and he was this close to another touchdown to tremble outside the pocket. But that's going to be something that we need to see this Saturday. I mean, if they're able to flush him out and that ends our offense that he can't keep his eyes downfield, you know, that's, that's going to spell disaster because we know they've got athletes that can get to the quarterback, but if he can, can be outside the pocket and keep his eyes downfield and look for Javon McKinley, who I thought was great in this game, that's going to be a, a recipe for for success. So hopefully we can keep that going and not kind of fall in the, the traps of old with the outside the pocket throwing. Yeah, I wonder how much the tight ends are going to play into that of extending drives and getting open um, just with the fact that they're very hard to cover. Um, Coop, can I call you Coop? Is that yeah, uh, yeah no problem. Okay. Everyone calls me Coop. I don't want to pres- presume on our <laughs> friendship. Um, what did what, you see? Yeah, so... To me, I didn't really learn much. The defense, elite, awesome. Clark Lee should be a head coach this year already. It's it's a kind of a, a travesty that he isn't. But to me, I didn't really learn much. The offense played well. Um, Ian Book looked looked good once again. Back to back weeks, great performances. But to me, it's just a lack of explosive plays is kind of a little bit concerning to me. The consistency and um, sustainability of executing 10 12 14 16 play drives against a team like Clemson that them that they, they themselves have a really good defense it just doesn't seem realistic or feasible to me so that's one area I was kind of looking for um, more explosive plays and there I think there was only one to McKinley um, in the passing game and there was like a screen pass to Kyron Williams late in the game but that's one area that kind of concerned me but I don't think I learned much it's just kind of something that I was hoping to see that didn't kind of come to fruition yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's a good point. Um, we always talk about how good teams win and great teams cover. I just want to make a point <laughs> we that we, we effectively covered. This is twice this season. I didn't bet on it this week, where Notre Dame has been like inside the other team's 10 and at the end of the game it has just been like, nah, we're not, we're not going to go for it. They even didn't though... take knees. They tried to score. I don't know <laughs> what was did. going on there. Yeah. Well, they tried to run the ball. There's yeah. your answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... We effectively covered for all intents and purposes. So my personal uh, perspective of the game, um, I really don't think the scoreline reflected how dominant we were. It's something the the podcast account tweeted out. I thought we were fantastic. I don't know what anyone was complaining about. For the most part, we were unstoppable both ways. I mean, their only points at halftime were a ridiculous scoop and score, um, which is something we're going to have to work on. That can't happen against Clemson. Um, here's something interesting. Like, So the, the defense we know is really good and throughout the game if you look at yardage which isn't the best indicator we doubled them but here's what's interesting in the first half we only give up 66 yards 
a lot of their their production and their movement was in garbage time essentially and i just i just don't understand how good this defense is like 66 yards we talked last week they aver- they let up like four rushing yards in the first half this team is is scary on defense and uh you heard mike gollick a lot talking about the 2012 team I think this team, this defense might be better than the 2012 team because we're in an era of football now where passing is way more important. And the fact that we're holding the same kind of points, uh, the team uh, giving up points at least, uh, I think is indicative of how good the defense is, how good uh, Coach Lee is, also how much more athletic we've become. I think the main difference when you look at that 2012 team to today is we're a lot faster. We're a lot faster at linebacker. We're a lot faster on the edge, I think. I think we're a lot faster in the secondary. And and I think that's the difference between us and the SEC elite from the last 10 years has been has been athleticism and speed. Um, also wanted to shout out um, Wilkins' touchdown catch. I think this could be one of the guys that could break out. Uh, we've seen in the, uh, in the first game of the season he was effective – uh, he only got one catch today, but you know I thought it was a pretty athletic play in the end zone. He got open, um, and the big thing, and something I want to ask you guys um, in particular, is tight end production. So if you looked, uh, tight ends had, had accounted for I think five receptions in the game. Do you think this is an area going into Clemson that we need to utilize more? And I keep thinking of. Cole Komet against Georgia last year, where that was just pitch and catch all day long. Do you think maybe our well, our well of success is the tight ends for the next game? You, it'd be, you would think so, just because Tommy Tremble, he's kind of disappeared the last couple of weeks though, and we've noted that. But he had a great first few weeks. Michael Mayer's really stepped up as a true freshman and like five star talent, five star talent. But our twelve personnel is actually one of the least successful formations and kind of uh, personnel groupings that we utilize it only averages 0.03 epa per play compared to an 11.26 in 10.28 so it it you would think that it'd be um one you would want to stick with kyron uh mayer and tremble and then whoever mckinley skaronic insert receiver name here but it hasn't worked out so far and i'm, I'm wondering if it's going to be something that hinders them if they try to push it too far and I think that it's it hasn't worked so far, but part of me thinks that against a team like Clemson, they got to find a way to make it work, just because that's where our athletic edge is going to be. Is I think that Mayer and Tremble, even against a team like Clemson, they they're ha- they're athletic enough to have an edge against who's covering them. I I'm starting to come around on McKinley, and I'm starting to come around on Skoranek, but it's just hard for me to see them having any kind of edge in terms of physical tools against whoever Clemson's going to line up across from them. Yeah, but uh, that's kind of where I was going with it too, and we'll talk about when we get into Clemson potential breakouts at wide receiver. But um, you know, the co-host, do you guys have anything you want to chime in there with the uh, with what I said or with what anything else has been said? Yeah, kind of throwing everything together. Uh, one of the scales on Twitter said that Notre Dame's offense has been boring uh, for all the weeks that we've had so far, and really outside of the double reverse pass that we threw. It has been pretty mundane, but I think what Reese Kelly and co have done uh, is given Clemson and North Carolina and Miami, whoever they're going to play in the ACC championship game, uh, a lot to look at. And it may be boring with the sets they're using and the routes they're using, but they've given them enough that this week, which is a short week because Election Day is Tuesday, no NCAA team, uh, 
can play, it's going to be hell for them to, you know, get their scout team together and figure out what plays they're going to run. Analytics says, says they're going to run more plays than others, but it may not be boring on Saturday. They may open up the entire offense uh, with really what we're looking for. So while there's been a lot that's happening, as a coach, I'm saying, you know, fuck, I have to plan for this, that, and the other thing. Now I have to plan for trick plays that they're going to run. Um, it's going to be a hell of a week, especially in a short week with a new quarterback. Well, that doesn't matter, but it's going to be a short week for them to prep for all of this. Dylan? Yeah, I want to I build off what you said there, kind of with the mundane plays. We've been hearing a narrative for, I think, two weeks now that Kelly has been honest about looking forward to Clemson. And do you think the fact that this is coming out and the fact that we are all conscious of it might suggest actually that we are saving the playbook, that in the last few weeks or perhaps all season, we've kind of been hiding our best stuff from Clemson with the eye to Clemson, because that seems to be what Kelly's focused on in the last two weeks. Yeah, Steve. for sure. Uh, I, 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 think that's, uh, I think that's apparent because we have been pretty vanilla. Uh, on on the uh, offensive side of the football, so it is what it is there. But you think back to the uh, the Georgia game last year. I mean, that was book was excellent. He was really really good. That's the reason why we were within three. You know, right? It, it it was what it was. And and I think uh, he had you know eight connections with Cole Komet for like a hundred something yards and a touchdown. So when when we're able to plan it out and script it out, I, I think we're going to get the best of book. And I think that we've definitely hidden what we have. I mean, we haven't had Jordan Johnson on the field. Lawrence Keyes has not really played too much of a role. Joe Wilkins hasn't really played, although every single time he's touched the ball, he's been incredibly efficient and effective. So I, I feel like there's a lot that we've hidden, so to speak, uh, thus far. And that's why I'm very hopeful that we're going to be opening up the floodgates against Clemson. Yeah, I think that might be part of it, but I think part of it is also just stylistically who Ian Book is as a passer. He doesn't really like to push the ball downfield. He likes underneath routes. He likes throws that are a little bit safer. This year, 61% of his throws are within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. So it could be part of it, hiding the playbook. He at, This season, he averages eight, eight, um, eight yards on his average throw against Georgia Tech. It was 5.8, so it could be part of it. But I think it's just who he is as a passer. He's pretty conservative, kind of similar in like the Jimmy Garoppolo fashion, if you want an NFL comparison of where he targets the field. He's been good when he targets the ball deep and um, pushes it downfield. Averages 0.61 EPA on 20 yards, throws 20 yards down the field, 0.53 between 10 and 19. It's just I don't think he has the willingness to push it often enough to make this offense seem exciting or kind of explosive. Yeah, and against Georgia last year, a lot of the the recipe was short crossing routes, getting the ball out of his hands quickly, not allowing Georgia's front four to to get much of a push. And I think that, that it's it, the recipe is similar if Clemson studies that Louisville film and is bringing five, bringing six off the edge with corners. If that's what they're going to do, you know, we need to trust our line to block and we need to get the ball out of his hands. And I think Avery Davis made steps last week, kind of coming forward in the Braden Lindsay mold of the end arounds and the short passes. And, you know, he's a guy that, I think we'll need to be involved on those drag routes. If if they're going to bring pressure, I think Ian Book can have an average depth of target of six or seven, and we can still have an effective offense if that's what they're going to choose to do. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think that's kind of where I'm coming back to the tight end. When you look at that Georgia game, the way Komet had played in that first half, I wonder if that's kind of the recipe for offensive success against Clemson is get those 
you know, mismatches on the linebackers on short routes and then and hit them there. Um, do you guys have anything else you want to talk about with Georgia Tech before we kind of move on to the Four Horsemen uh, segment? I think we're all pretty eager and you know, to get yeah, to the next parts here. We know what's coming around. It's an exciting week. All right. Um, you know, I'll let the guests go first. If uh, I don't know if you have individual horsemen or if you uh, co- collaborated at all, but why don't you give the audience uh, your four horsemen for the Georgia Tech game? Either one of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, I think my first one would be Avery Davis. I mean, he hadn't been involved very much. It wasn't a, a gaudy offensive performance from him, but he was clearly a guy that was asked to step up big in the vein of Braden Lindsay being healthy or being hurt. He had 0.34 EPA per target, which isn't, you know, blowing the world away. He had He's actually negative 0.6 on his average depth of target. So they were throwing to him behind the line on average, but he's a guy that's, that's going to be critical moving forward. The Irish, you know, their offense is, is best when they're able to hit those short throws and, and work behind the line of scrimmage. So he's one guy that, you know, I think in this game, maybe he wasn't spectacular, but he's a guy that he we're going to need going forward. So he's one guy that just, just jumped out as his usage really went up in the, the, the wake of Austin and McKinley, uh, not McKinley, Austin and Lindsay being unable to play. Uh, so yeah, so he would be my first one. Nice. Uh, you can, if you want to go through all four, you you can go ahead. Um, if that's if that would be quicker, just for the sake of um, more time for Clemson talk. Um, instead of if we all went around the table, that could be could be a little long there. So uh, yeah, just keep going. Yeah, absolutely. Dalen Hayes was spectacular in this game. I mean, the Irish got great pressure the entire time, and he was just spectacular. I mean, coming off the edge, just such a force. Um, you know, he really, really added a great element to our defense, I think, and is a key cog uh, in how this offense works. Um, I would then give a shout out to Kyron Williams. I mean, he was better this week. He had the fumble, which obviously hurt massively. Had a great bounce back, as he usually has. Against Florida State in the other game, he lost a fumble. Immediately the next drive has a huge run and a touchdown. Nothing phases that kid. I mean, he's he's in every game able to, you know, uh, handle a big workload and, and, and has been efficient so far, far more efficient than Tony Jones and Jafar were last year. So part of that is O-line play, but it's been really welcome. Uh, you know, seeing him take strides in this offense. Uh, and then finally, I'll, I'll go with the tight ends. I think that they, you know, they had five targets in this game. They blocked very well. Tommy Trumbull really close to a touchdown. Michael Meyer showed how athletic he is. So kind of cheating for the fourth one, but looking ahead to Clemson a little bit, as we have been for a few weeks now, I'll, I'll go with both the tight ends because I have a feeling that we're going to need them in massive fashion uh, in a few days. Nice. Go ahead, Cooper. Yep. So I think my first one would be Clark Lee. Um, defensively, I think there are two elite players in this defense, and Kyle Hamilton and JOK. And outside of that, there's solid talent across the board, but nothing nothing that's too exciting, at least in, on the starters. So he's been able to get them to play kind of greater than the sum of their parts. And I think he's just been excellent. It's just week to week. It, there are questions every season coming in. The last three years, he's been defensive coordinator. There have been questions of how is Notre Dame going to replace so-and-so. And he's just passed with flying colors each time. So he's he's number one for me. It's another great performance. Number two, I think Dalen Hayes, he just was so disruptive in the pa- in the pass rushing game. 
Um, it's something that's been missing uh, and generating any pressure on quarterbacks. And part of that might be Georgia Tech, just kind of a talent disparity, but he was number two for me. Third, I think Javon McKinley um, kind of had it stepped up after kind of disappearing after a big Florida State game. He disappeared a little bit, but had another great game, kind of looked like a go-to guy and kind of establishing himself as if he's not wide receiver one, if Skoronek's your number one, he's number two. So, And then finally, Ian Book, not the most exciting performance, but another great effort, 0.45 EPA per play, like we said, and picks up a, is very underrated as a scrambler as well and picks up a lot of key, play, key yards with his legs. And just a, a great performance. I don't want to say managing the offense because it's kind of a, a weird label and an unfair label, but um, just a great, I think it's just a all-around good performance from him. Nice. So um, in what we did, we consolidated our picks. We did a really ridiculous way of doing it where we all submitted, Steve and I submitted picks. Uh, P-Wagon just kind of just said the offensive line. So we did a point system. Uh, five points for first place, second or four for second, and so on and so forth. And uh, we consolidated our list, and I'm delegating that power to Steve to deliver the first ever combined four horsemen from the four horsemen. <laughs> Got you, fam. Uh, yeah. So just going from four all the way down to one. Starting with Etikatembo Ogundeji. I absolutely love that guy. I think I've adopted him. I would like to. Um, Four tackles, one for loss. He also had a sack. Was his sack the sack fumble, or was that Dalen Hayes? I do forget. I think that was Hayes because Hayes had uh, two forced fumbles, according ah. to the the stat sheet. Okay, perfect. So, so then that'll we'll we'll get to that later. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Addy had a great game, and and um, he had a couple of hurries in there as well. So the when he starts getting into the backfield is when good things start to happen. Uh, next up would be Kyle Hamilton, the obvious, you know, six tackles, two of those tackles for a loss with a pass deflection. One of those uh, tackles for a loss ended up being on a fourth down. So he's just all over the field and such a magical and wonderful human being. I love him with all my heart. Um, next up, the second horseman of the game, Ian book, 199, 199 yards passing with a touchdown also added 46 yards on the ground. More importantly, didn't turn the ball over, was responsible, ran the offense, was very efficient. So great job by Ian. And then the horseman of the week, absolute animal, absolute beast, destroying the entire offensive line systemically all day long. Dalen Hayes, five tackles, two of those tackles for loss, two sacks, two forced fumbles. He just could not be contained, have himself a day. And if we get that sort of production going forward, I would love to see him play on Sundays. Yeah, that's and I think that's one of the key ingredients the defense has been missing is been sacks, um, and then you know turnovers. But we've settled that one a few weeks ago. Sacks has been the the next element of this defense. So Dalen Hayes was was phenomenal, and I would also throw out there because uh, we always update you with Ian Book's QBR. It was 82 adjusted, 83.6 raw. That is both ahead of his 2018 average. So good performance from Book. I would suggest now that we get into the college football world at large. We'll briefly go through this one because it was a boring week. Oklahoma State lost. This opens up a fourth spot, and I think this makes it, and something we've talked about on the show, why the Big 12 needs to cannibalize itself, is that it would open up an opportunity for Notre Dame to get in with a loss. I think if Notre Dame-Clemson split, they could take that fourth spot. Also, the Pac-12 comes back this week. I know none of us care about the Pac-12 because they're just awful, and they have one program in particular who sucks. So the big segment, um, hopefully you guys aren't in a rush to leave. Um, Clemson, everyone knows that that's been 
the week of the schedule that we've all wanted to get to. And here it is. So welcome to Clemson week or Clemson hate week or both. Um, it's a 7.30 kickoff on NBC. College game day will be there. And the line at the moment is Notre Dame as an underdog, five and a half. Um, so the big news, as everybody knows, we thought we wouldn't hear this, but Dabo Sweeney released it pretty early. Trevor Lawrence will not be eligible to play against Notre Dame. He will not be able to 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 uh, jump through all the hoops needed before kickoff. So therefore, they'll be going with the backup. I'm going to start with whoever wants to jump in first. What are your thoughts on Trevor Lawrence not playing? So it's unfortunate that we're not going to see Ian Book and Trevor Lawrence, as I predicted many moons ago, on the field at South Bend with a slight snow falling uh, on the 50-yard line for a trial by combat. Combat. <laughs> My thoughts with him not playing, I do hope he gets healthy uh, because I would love to see him uh, in December uh, for the ACC championship game so we can cut his hair off like Delilah did Samson. Uh, so really, overall, the backup quarterback, he's six foot five. He scares me because he's six foot five and we don't have a good history with tall, large quarterbacks hearkening back to the Texas game a few years ago where I almost ended the friendship uh, over us losing that game, that large quarterback. Uh, so really, that's a big concern of mine. The quarterback, I can't pronounce his last name, so he's just the quarterback to me. Uh, he's very good, but Beastie's also terrible. Uh, so that's where I'm at. I do hope Trevor gets better. Uh Oh, well, you know it's serious when when P Wagon gets biblical. You know that's it's <laughs> something serious is happening. So, uh, Steve, I'll let you jump in there. Uh, I'm, I'm going to let somebody else take the next uh, go around. I did just want to let it be known. Looking at the forecast now, uh, it's going to be an uncharacter uncharacteristically warm day. Uh, I, know. I know we're probably playing at night, but as of now, it is going to be looking like it's going to be in the low mid to low 60s that day, like 69, nice, uh, possibly lower by the time game time rolls around. So it is looking like it's going to be clear weather. Uh, I feel like that does not give us any sort of advantage where it would have no. been nice if it would have been in the 40s. And that's something I looked at yesterday too because it, this is such a crime. You know, you get Clemson top team in the country at Notre Dame Stadium, right? And the whole hope is part of the advantage of playing them at home, unlike in the hurricane, is that one, we get a full crowd, and two, we get typical, you know, Indiana November weather at night. And both of those things would benefit Notre Dame, and here we have neither of them. And I, that just really, really bothers me that we can't even get the weather to go our way. Um, although, you know, that weather still might be too cold for those South Carolina boys. Um, but, yeah, I'll jump back out. Uh, Cooper, do you have anything to say about the quarterback situation? Yeah, I think Trevor Lawrence is a huge loss and arguably the best quarterback prospect in the last 20 years of college football. But they're replacing him with another five-star, number two quarterback in his class behind a guy that's at Alabama who's going to replace Mac Jones um, next season. He averaged so far this year 0.41 EPA per play through the air. That's the exact same as Trevor Lawrence. It's sample size is concerns, 130 fewer plays. But 
Also has been more efficient as a runner. Only nine rushes, but .36 EPA per play. He had a long touchdown run against Boston College. He's a very similar style of quarterback, in my opinion, to Trevor Lawrence. Can throw the ball, has a cannon for an arm. Very accurate, but also can burn you as a runner. I think that's one area of Lawrence's game that kind of gets overlooked. He's a very capable runner. I think DJ is as well. And it's a it's definitely a drop-off, but it's not a drop-off to a replacement level where this game is that like is going to be a... Much closer, in my opinion. It's going to be, I think, a pretty similar outcome. Maybe we have a better chance overall. But I'm I'm scared of DJ. That's for sure. Yeah, the Irish have struggled a bit this year containing opposing quarterback runs. Uh, Malik Cunningham, in particular, like in, against Louisville, did some damage. Jordan Travis from Florida State did some damage. So, you know, when you're looking at our defense, it's been so elite, it's, it's hard to even find flaws. The only two we've seen are deep passing against a bit and opposing quarterbacks rushing. So this is going to be a big test for, for Clark Lay to figure out a way to you know contain him on the ground um, because he, he killed Boston College at times. He picked up a huge fourth down for a touchdown that really turned their fortunes around in that game. So that's something to keep an eye on is, is that's going to be a focal point, I think, for Clark Lay is we've struggled in this area so far. We've put it on tape for Clemson to look at. How are we going to figure that out? Clark Lee jacket it right. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> this show is mostly just making fun of the other way, or the, the way other people talk. <laughs> um, what are you talking about? Um, so something we wanted to get you guys on here for, and if you have them, great. If not, no problem. Um, what I kind of call midterm review of Notre Dame so far this season, uh, as part of our big preview of this matchup, I think it makes sense to go through how we've performed this season. So if you guys have that uh, on hand, would you mind giving our audience kind of where we've struggled, where we, where our strengths are and kind of where we're heading in the, in the, in the rest of the season? Yeah. So I think defensively we can just start there. It's been elite. It's top 10, arguably top five defense overall average EPA allowed through the air is negative 0.27 negative 0.19 on the ground so it's just a suffocating defense defense um they both rank I think yeah EPA is eighth in the country EPA um per pass is eighth in the country on the ground it's 12th success rate through the air is sixth in the country they only allow 30 percent of their plays um that are passing plays to be successful so Defensively, it's it's suffocating. It's a defense that there are no weaknesses. If we're nitpicking, we can find some, but overall, there's nothing really to be overly concerned about. Do you uh, have anything to add, uh, Jack? Or yeah, I mean that that basically sums it up defensively. Um, on offense, the the rushing attack has been far far better than last year. Uh, the rushing attack has been... I'm looking at motion there. Apologize. Pull that up real quick. Sorry, you can edit this a bit. <laughs> so no, it's fine. It's, fine. it's yeah. funnier this way. <laughs> <laughs> so, so far this year, Kyron Williams is averaging 0.18 EPA per play. That is far better than any production the Irish got last year. And then in the designed rushing game, Ian Book has 0.31 EPA per play, which is also excellent. Tyree and Flemister have been around zero, so average for the whole year. But that rushing attack is is far better than it was and has given us a great base. And then, as we said earlier, uh, Book has been good passing. He's he's reached his his uh, level of play from last year, averaging 0.28 EPA per play with a 48.3 success rate. Uh, his average depth of target is eight. That's pretty low. That that 
you know, lines up with the eye test that we haven't taken a ton of shots downfield. Um, but, you know, he's been successful even not doing that. And then in terms of our receivers, the guys that have been getting the ball pushed to them, McKinley has an average depth of target of 12.5 and Skoranek, although largely from that one bomb against Pitt, uh, his is 16.7. So those are the guys that against Clemson look for them to get the ball pushed to them down the field. And then Avery Davis has been very hyper efficient with 0.91 EPA per target, just 2.8 yards per target. So he's going to be taking on that Lindsay role, the end arounds, the screens. Uh, so in terms of our, our personnel and wide receivers, I would expect to see that kind of mix on Saturday. All right. So I have a few questions if I can, just before we, we keep going with this. Um, one, is it safe to assume that our rushing EPA may not be as um, high for this game against an elite defense in Clemson? Yes, definitely. And one thing I'd like to add to is Passing EPA has now surpassed rushing over the season. It's 0.21 through the air and now 0.16 on the ground. In the last four weeks, passing has been much more efficient than rushing overall. So RTDB is like, it's kind of like the mantra of kind of the fan base and just kind of Notre Dame in general, but it hasn't really worked the last four weeks and we're seeing book kind of step up, but this team is one because they throw the ball effectively, not because they're um, establishing the run or pounding everyone on the ground game the last four weeks. It's because Book has been able to make plays and has improved over a pretty dismal first couple performances on the season. Um, but yeah, against Clemson, it, we saw this against Pitt as well. Um, their strategy and Louisville, I, would, I should add, their strategy was to load the box, a lot of corner blitzes, kind of sending extra defenders into the run and daring Book to beat them deep. And he did over the top. And we might see Clemson back off a little bit, but they also had the level of athlete where they might trust their guys in single coverage, kind of cover zero looks. So I wouldn't expect a spectacular game on the ground, and this game's going to come down to Ken Book and the passing offense keep up with DJ and Clemson. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely right. Would it be maybe safe to say or reasonable to ask for more designed runs from Book, just given how effective they have been? I think so, and we saw this against Louisville. There was one quarterback draw that burned them badly, and then there was a missed blocking assignment on the second one that – Probably would have gone for a touchdown or at least a big a big gain. So he's an underrated runner. He's very good as a scrambler. He's our most effective runner. So I think getting him more involved, but also ba- it's kind of a balancing act where you don't want him to take too many hits because he does seem a little hesitant to kind of slide and protect himself, and he's willing to kind of take extra hits that probably he shouldn't as a quarterback. So it's kind of a balancing act, but getting him more involved would definitely improve efficiency um, at the margins. And that's another reason why I think out-of-pocket throwing is so critical is, you know, sometimes because he's so good at scrambling, he looks for the scramble. But when it's not there, he needs to be able to adjust at that point. And, I, and I'm, you know, this offensive line is elite. It may be the best in college football, but they're going to get pressure. They have athletes up front to get that pressure. So, you know, this week, definitely look for Book to scramble. And when it's not there, hopefully he can make plays outside the pocket with his arm as well. So quick question. You guys just can answer in two words. One, have we is the 2020 team better than the 2019 team from what we've seen so far? And two, what grade would you give our performances so far this season? So I'll start with Cooper. Yeah, so I think they are better. Offensively, don't have the same level of talent at the receiver and pass catcher positions, but I think the rushing game has really elevated this offense to kind of new heights. Defensively, it's still the same level of performance. Ian Book is kind of... He hasn't really improved, but he also hasn't gotten worse if you look at the aggregate. So it's kind of the same level of play we kind of expected and kind of hope from him. So I think it is a better team. I'd probably give the grade 
Uh, probably like a B. I think initially there was way too run heavy. Early down passing was under 40% before last week. It's been up um, over 50 on first down and about 60, 70% on second down now the last couple of weeks. So it's definitely improving. I think there are areas to work on. I don't think this team is necessarily elite or has been elite. They may may show that show um, different in coming weeks, especially this this coming Saturday. But I'd probably give it a B so far. Nice, Jack. Yeah, I'll follow the instructions. Uh, yes, A minus. <laughs> digging at your your partner there. Uh, um, we appreciate everything. I'm not digging sides. No. Um, uh, Mr. P Wagon. That's such a ridiculous name at this point. Um, give us your uh, your two answers. Yes. B, one of those like soft Bs, but it's like really a B minus, but the kid, the teacher likes the kid. Uh, so B. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Steve? Uh, yes, we are better, and I'd give us a B plus. Yeah, I'm with you and Jack, kind of B plus, A minus, I think. Um, and I do think we're better. Um, I think I'm seeing a lot more from the running game, from the offensive line. It was pretty young last year. So um, in terms of Clemson, I don't think we've gotten into Clemson's preview. Do you guys have um, some analytics on, on Clemson? Yeah, we do. We can get into Perfect. I know things have changed, too, now that there's a backup quarterback, but I think for the most part, we can we can cover it. Yep, definitely. Can I, uh, before we start, I just want to say one thing, and this is a statement to Notre Dame fans everywhere, Subway alumni, students, alumni, faculty, uh, anyone affiliated with the University of Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Uh, I had to pull it up, Dylan. That's why I was stalling. If you think Notre Dame is going to lose any week of the season, but especially this week of the season, get out. I'm another team. Get out. I don't care that you think Clemson's better or the numbers say Clemson's better. The door's right there. You can get out. I don't want you on this program anymore. Have belief, have faith, Irish by two. I feel like I feel like you may accidentally have just ostracized our guests because I don't know how they're should, going should to. I, should I hang up right now? I don't know. How <laughs> I, feel about this. I don't know how Jack feels, you, but I... P wagon, you could have waited for for at least some score predictions before you you know kicked them out. But uh, no, that's okay. That's a good message. I think there's a difference between. Um, just like giving up and saying we're going to lose and then just predicting a close game that goes to Clemson, right? I think I think we can distinguish between those two things because there are people in the fan base who are intolerable and insufferable with their misery and just suggest because Brian Kelly is alive that we are going to lose because we always lose big games. I mean, to an extent maybe, but <laughs> I think they take it a little too far. The sky um, is not falling. The no, sky is not yeah, we're a chicken little fan base. But, okay, so Cooper, Jack, I'll let you guys get into Clemson, uh, and then we will shut up for the next few moments. Yep, so Clemson's pretty similar um, statistically to Notre Dame in all areas except for the rushing offense. Surprisingly, with Travis Etienne in the backfield, they've been pretty mediocre, I want to say, um, running the football, obviously throwing with Trevor Lawrence has been efficient. Uh, DJ was lights out against Boston College. That game should have been a lot 
Um, the, spur, the final margin should have been a lot bigger than it was. They kind of had a fluky, the 97-yard fumble return. They had a kind of fluky roughing the passer call that extended Boston College's drive at the end of the half to score um, their final touchdown of the game, what ended up being. But he was lights out. Rushing has been kind of uh, mediocre. So defensively, they're, they're elite, top 10 defense in EPA against the pass and rush, similar to Notre Dame, passing much more efficient offensively. Uh, Notre Dame, Notre Dame's more effective running the football, but passing wins games. And Clemson, it's going to be an interesting matchup. I think Clemson's just better at um, the areas where it leads to more victories over the long run. And that's just kind of over a first look. That's kind of how I'm seeing this matchup. Yeah, I have two things to say on on that front. The first is that Clemson this year is picking up 1.04 EPA per play on third down, and they're converting over 51% of their third downs when they throw the football. So they are obviously most of that was with Trevor Lawrence. They are really, really difficult to get off the field on third down. So one of the key things that Notre Dame is going to have to work to do is get them into third and long. You know, they've been able to do that this year, force them into into obvious passing situations and put some pressure on their new quarterback. Because I think that that's an area where the Irish have really succeeded. And because Clemson is so good on third down, they have to be uncomfortable on third down. They've even even with those incredible stats, that's still um, from for them with an average third down distance when they throw of eight point nine. So they've been that good having to get that many yards. So for the Irish, it starts with, you know, making sure they are at least that far away from a first down when they get to third down. And then finally, Amari Rogers is unlike anyone the Irish have faced this year in terms of his production. We're going to tweet out later an EPA versus opportunity chart, which just basically charts how involved a guy is in their offense versus how efficient he is. Amari Rogers basically breaks the y-axis of our chart. He is up above. There's a cluster of all their skill players, and then there is Amari Rogers in his own universe. So that's going to be a critical assignment for presumably Nick McLeod, perhaps Trey Bracey, uh, maybe even Kyle Hamilton. Who knows? But whoever's going to draw him in coverage, they're going to need to play the game of their life for Notre Dame's defense to have the kind of performance that it's accustomed to having. I, I certainly, you know, I love the sentiment about about Notre Dame having a chance to win this game. I certainly think Notre Dame has a chance to win this game. But it's not going to be behind the kind of defensive performance that Notre Dame fans are used to. That's just simply not going to happen. If Notre Dame can hold them their offense to a .2, .15 EPA per play, which is far more than, than Notre Dame is usually given up. I think our opponents have been negative in every game this year. That's going to be a win in terms of the defense, and it's going to be on the offense to figure out how to make that a win. So, you know, the defense is going to need to find a way to keep Rodgers in check and find a way to just, you can't stop him. You can only hope to contain him. So we got to find a way to contain him. So in relation to that, a, a, a question I'm going to ask you. Um, you say Notre Dame's very good at getting people on third and long situations. We know Clemson has a running back who they think is a Heisman candidate. Do you think Clemson can, in a sense, beat themselves by thinking this is a freshman quarterback, we're going to run the ball, and that will be our attack at Notre Dame? So they start running the ball, we start shutting them down, and then they're stuck in third and long situations. Do you think that's something that could play out? That could definitely happen, and I don't have numbers on uh, the Boston College game and what their strategy was so far, but... Um, over the course of the season, they are 10th in pass rate on first and second downs at 56%. And they seem to be leaning into uh, throwing the football. Obviously, with Trevor Lawrence, you want to give him as many opportunities as possible. But given the kind of um, production they got out of DJ last weekend, 
And given the type of talent he is, being a five-star kid, despite being a true freshman, I think maybe they'll lean in a little bit more, but they seem to be kind of favoring the pass in early down situations. So I think you hope, as if you're Notre Dame, that they hand the ball off to Travis Etienne 20, 30 times a game and just kind of pound the ball on first and second down consistently so they get in those third and long. And then maybe you can kind of take advantage of that, given your skill set, given the length of Kyle Hamilton and the strength of the secondary and um, produce some stops. So I think that's a definitely something Notre Dame fans should hope for. Um, but over the course of the season, that's not something that seems likely. Yeah, and I'll say, too, last year going into the Georgia game, I was very concerned about what DeAndre Swift could do to our defense on the ground. He had a a very good game. It wasn't elite, but he had a very good game. I don't have quite that same level of fear this time around. And maybe that's foolish, but I think this defense is is as ready as any defense in the country to to face their run game. Yeah, that's a good point. So. I'm going to ask you guys just kind of two questions that I was thinking with regard to this matchup between Notre Dame and Clemson. One, how many points do you think we need to score? What is, In my opinion, the way I'm looking at this, I think this has become a race to 17. And maybe that's optimistic, but with the way our defense is and the fact that it is a freshman quarterback in his second start, I think the Notre Dame offense has been the beneficiary of, of Trevor Lawrence's injury. I think that people who have benefited the most of him being out is Ian Book in the offense because it relieves the pressure of what you need to keep up with. I think the game becomes a lot shorter in that sense. And the second question I want to ask you guys is from, you know, just from data and just from what you've been watching, so this applies to, you know, as other non-nerds, is who steps up at wide receiver? Do you envision anyone stepping up? Um, And, yeah, I'll just let you guys take that away. I guess I'll start with the the first one. I personally think that it's going to be a race to more like 35. I, I, I really think that as good as our defense is in, in college football these days, offense wins championships. And I think that it's going to be really difficult, even without Trevor Lawrence, to contain their offense. And I think that if our defense can hold them to 24 or 28, I think that's a success. I, I what, do, what do you think, Cooper? I agree. Part of me wants to say I agree with you, Dylan. Um that it's going to be a low-scoring game. Given what we saw against Georgia the last couple of years, kind of going in huge underdogs and holding both like the teams to about 20 points. I forget what the score was last year, 19 maybe. But Clemson's not Georgia. Trevor Lawrence, no longer playing. DJ, DJ is not Jake Fromm. This is a completely different animal. The talent at receiver is different. It's just I think it's going to be more towards what Jack's thinking, maybe around 28, like if you put up four touchdowns, first team um, there. But I think it comes down to Notre Dame getting four or five stops from their defense and the offense being able to take advantage of those opportunities. But I think it's going to be more high scoring than um, a lot of people think with our defense. I just don't think um, even with our defense, they're going to be able to stop them throughout the game. They're going to they're going to score points and Ian Book and um, the offense is going to have to respond. Buag and Steve, do you guys want to chime in on the wide receiver part? Who do you think is going to step up, if any? Uh, he's not a wide receiver, but Tommy Tremble and Michael Mayer. Uh, that, that's really who's going to step up. when If you're loading up the box to stop the run, which we think they're going to do, you're going to have, if you run a two tight end set uh, and you have them sit either behind the linebackers or just in front of them, uh, it's going to be hard to stop two tight ends running crossing routes in the middle of the field. Uh, look to what the Patriots did 
when they had Hernandez and Gronkowski uh, back in the day before everything went down. Uh, it was hard to stop them vertically, but also horizontally. Uh, so I think with that, that those are going to be two of the bigger uh, impact players there, especially if we get the RPOs going, which Ian Book has run pretty well. You put the defensive end and the linebackers in a blunder of is he going to you know, run it, give it, or throw it, and they're sitting there all day, and then you have the, the two tight ends moving all over the field. And even if he does keep it, you have Tremble mauling a linebacker looking for blood in the middle of the field. Uh, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to pay out in the long run there. I feel like I feel like there was a, a killing joke I could have made in, in that speech you just gave. Um, Steve, do you want to jump in? So uh, I think we are going to get what we expect from Mayer. We're going to get what we expect from Javon. I think the, the guys are going to ultimately make or break uh, the game. Uh, there's going to be three when it comes to receiving the football. <clears throat> Tommy Tremble, Ben Skoranek, and Kyron Williams. Those three guys, if they can get three, at least two receptions each, I think that is going to go a long way in regards to us being able to put up at least three touchdowns, which is a minimum of what we are going to need to win this game. Interesting. Am I, am I the only one who thinks Avery Davis is our key to success? He is going to be very, very key. And, and Jack, I'll let you take over here in just a second. So, uh, but I, I think getting at least the two receptions for those other guys that I mentioned, because we know we're getting five to six targets to Mayor minimum. We know we're getting five to six targets over to Javon because he's seemingly the only guy that ever gets open. Davis is definitely going to be important, but those other guys getting in the mix is what is going to allow Davis to get those underneath crossing routes, in my opinion. But Jack, uh, your thoughts? No, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think that I agree that Davis is going to be critical. And that's purely on my assumption that Clemson's going to bring pressure and that we're going to have to get the ball out quick because Davis has proven that he can be a weapon close to the line of scrimmage. And I think similar to Georgia last year, you know, Kelly has shown that he can design or Kelly or Reese has shown they can design an offense with short passing. They can get the job done because I thought the offense last year against Georgia was solid. If that doesn't happen, if Clemson's bringing three and dropping eight, Maybe it's not Davis then. Maybe it's it's Meyer and Trumbull taking advantage of their athleticism. It's it's going to really depend on what Clemson brings, and I hope that Kelly is is up to the task of making those adjustments that they need to happen. Yeah, that that's a good point too, and I think that's that's a, a game we could rely on. And getting the ball out of his hands quick is going to be so uh, essential. Um, moving on, we'll get into the basically the last main thing here: keys to success. If we can go around, um, just quickly, kind of what you've been through your analysis, through what you guys have seen, where, what does Notre Dame have to do to win this game? I think Notre Dame needs to avoid the trap of trying to shorten this football game by running the football, establishing the run, and just taking the ball out of Ian Book's hands. The run game is going to be important, yes, but this game is going to come down to Book keeping up with DJ. Doesn't have to keep up all the way, but keeping up enough to provide a a higher level of floor for this defense to succeed and get enough stops and not put too much pressure on them to hold Clemson to under 20 points, which is just unrealistic. So continuing to throw the ball early on um, first and second downs, Bullock kind of taking advantage of um, maybe Clemson loading the box and freeing up space for his pass catchers. And then if Clemson decides to back off, switching gears, 
switching to a run-heavy approach and just kind of a balanced approach there, kind of taking what Clemson gives you and not falling into the trap of trying to lengthen this game or shorten this game and falling into the traps of third and longs and probably a lot of three and outs. Nice. Jack, your opinion? Yeah, my key to this game is going to be limiting their deep throwing. This is the one area the Irish have struggled in. I think Sean Crawford has overall done an admirable job of of moving to safety, but I think that there have been growing pains there. And I think that, you know, if they're going to use Kyle Hamilton in man-to-man, it's a lot of pressure on Crawford to stay over the top of Rodgers and stay over the top of these playmakers. And that's one area I'm worried about that, you know, Malik Cunningham and Jeff Sims have been able to burn the Irish deep a bit. So that's one stat that, you know, if I could know how that's going to go, I'd have a feeling I would know how the game's going to go. If we can keep them to one or two passes completed over 20 yards down the football field, I think we're going to have a good chance. If they're able to burn us deep and we feel the need to to go into a cover three or to drop more guys deep and they're going to be able to run, that's that's when they're going to be able to run the football and that's when we're really in trouble. So if we can keep everybody in front of us and limit the deep passing, I think it really limits what they're going to be able to do on offense across their offense, including their rushing game and everything. But it starts with that because they have the film. They've seen that we're a little bit leaky in that area has to be tightened up. It's a good point, Steve. I'll let you jump in. Yeah, uh, I think I made a quick mention of it last week. I think the only way Notre Dame is going to win this football game, because on defense, I, I trust them. I do. The only way that Notre Dame is going to keep up with uh, with them on the offensive side of the football is if their offensive line is getting into the second level. Because that means we're either, one, opening up holes in the running game that's going to keep them honest, which means they can't stack the, uh, the box against us. Or, or rather, if they try to stack the box, then, then book, you know, let Book cook. You can, you can get him to get the ball down the field, hopefully, even though that's kind of against his MO. But at least it opens up the opportunity. Or two, it means that we're getting screen passes or short passes to an Avery Davis or, or screen passes to like Javon where we can get the offensive line into the second level and get their hat on a safety and really open up some lanes for those guys to run. Because uh, yards after catch are going to ultimately be, uh, in my opinion, kind of a, a differentiator between win or loss in this game. Nice. wagon Again, th- this is a running joke, but this is being serious here. It's the special teams. Um, everything from kickoffs to kick returns uh, to PATs to punting. If we're able to flip the field and get uh, DJ in a first and 10 from his 10, his five, anything inside the 20, uh, that's good for us. You can definitely bring a little bit more pressure. I know the field will be opened up a little bit more, uh, but we we want to force the throw. They may run on first and second down, but if we can get Blitzen going and he's sitting in his own end zone, uh, that's going to be huge. If we can pull off a couple big returns and flip the field positively, if you start on the the plus side of the 50, that's always a good thing to do. Um, so really it's our special teams that have to come through uh, in the clutch. Uh, so that's where we're at there. Well, for, for me, I got two. So one is getting the ball out of Ian Book's hands quickly uh, and thus moving the ball down the field. And two, testing... Clemson long I think that's been an area of weakness and I think that's where play action will become huge but you've seen this in the Michigan game last year where we struggled because of the weather partially is we could not test them down the field and when you play Michigan if you can't test their corners you're not going to move the ball 
the same thing happened with Louisville. And if Clemson can pin us into what we were doing against Louisville, that is struggling to move the ball offensively and then struggling to move it even through the run game, that could get ugly. Defensively, for me, it's explosive plays. As you guys have mentioned, we are vulnerable to the ball over the top. However, I would counter that. I think that part of that's just luck. When you look at some of those plays, it was like a bang-bang or a ridiculous catch. And I think... I'm a little bit less concerned that they're going to exploit us there, especially with a freshman quarterback. I just, we know he's good. I know he's a five-star. He is still, you know, an 18-year-old in his second game playing the top defense he might ever play in college. I I like our matchup there. And if we can limit those explosive plays, which I think we can, I think we win that game and can win the game at least. Um, I don't want to upset anyone by being on freezing cold takes for saying something like that. Um FPI, uh, ESPN's win probability has it 65 to 34 in favor of uh, Clemson over Notre Dame. There, I know that doesn't add up to 100. It was 65.9, 34.1. Uh, Clemson to win. Notre Dame in the minority there, but things do change, especially with the quarterback. One thing I put out on Twitter today, I asked you guys to vote in a poll and give us a response. So very quickly... Do you think Notre Dame wins or not? 75% of you said yes. That actually blew my mind. I think the the complete tune around Notre Dame football has changed lately. Um, it was just two weeks ago where people thought we were an awful, awful team. And now here we are, most of you thinking we're going to beat Clemson. The big thing I asked you guys was, has your opinion changed from last week? Uh, or sorry, like from Lawrence? And two, give us a score prediction. And I'm just going to give you the top two comments because we are really strict for time um from thomas walsh i thought they could play with clemson even with lawrence if they play as they are capable him being out i think gives the team more belief they can beat them book needs to play better slash be willing to attack down the field or forget about it i think there's some truth to that especially with attacking down the field and another answer i want to give is from uh benny uh, at Benny15910. One, my answer has not changed with news about Lawrence because I personally think our defense contains Clemson's offense no matter who their QB is. And two, close game, but I think ND wins either with a last-minute scoring drive or goal line stand. And this is kind of the this, this theme that we saw for most of you guys are predicting a, a tight ND win. Um, so quick, just one-word answer, I suppose. Um, do you think... If you had voted in that poll, did your vote change with Lawrence being hurt? Steve, I'll start with you. Nope. I always thought we had a chance. Cooper? No, I thought we had a chance, but I would still take Clemson either way. Jack? No, it doesn't change my answer. I think that ESPN FBI sounds about right. I think Notre Dame has a really solid chance. I would pick Clemson if I had to. And P-Wagon? You know my answer. Okay. Um, for myself, I'm going to have a thread out uh, later in the week where I I think I'm higher on our defense and a little lower on Clemson's offense given this change. And I actually think it should be, in my opinion, a 65-35 Notre Dame split now, in my personal opinion, with just the atmosphere of the game, the significance of the game, and the injuries. Um, so my I would have said Notre Dame wins either way because that's what we do on this show. But I think we go from a 30% chance of winning with Lawrence to a, let's say, 65% chance of winning without Lawrence. That might be big and that might be ultimately foolish. But let's give it up, you know, score predictions. This is the big moment everyone has been waiting for. Um, I'm going to start with our guests. Cooper, do you want to try to take a stab at this one? Yeah, I think... Notre Dame won't be able to keep up offensively. I think a lot of points will be scored given these two offenses. Our offensive line is 
playoff caliber. Our defense is playoff caliber. Our running backs are playoff caliber. I don't think the passing attack is playoff caliber, and I think it's going to show against a team that does have championship-level offense and passing offense. I think it'll be 35-24, my first guess. I think Clemson is going to put up enough t- um, enough points. We'll get a few stops, but the offense won't be able to um, keep up. Jack, do you want to take this one? I'm going to take Clemson 31-28, to but I will say that I – you know, by no means I'm in the camp of the the drama that Notre Dame can't win or Brian Kelly can't win. It wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if Notre Dame won this football game. P wagon. Notre Dame thirty one. Clemson twenty nine. Oh, interesting <laughs> scoreline. I like that. Steve? Some score agami. I will say before I give my score prediction, if it comes down to a goal line stand, if if that's what the game comes down to against a six five DJ ukulele, um, I will shit a brick. Like you can pretty much just call me an ambulance just ahead of time before the result of the play. But my score prediction: the Notre Dame Fighting Irish are going to win this football game thirty no twenty seven to seventeen. It's good. Um, this is going to be, if my prediction is right, a Big Ten football game. I'm sorry to say that to every listener who wants to watch a good game. But in my opinion, I think this is going to be a defensive-heavy game. And I have the Irish winning 24-14. I think we are going to just confuse the quarterback too much. I think we're going to contain them. I think Clemson is going to commit to the run, and that's not going to work for them. And I think Notre Dame, like we've seen in regular season games against Georgia or other big teams, I think we're going to punch above our weight. And I think we're going to get the ball out quick. And I think we are going to move the ball down the field. And I think actually a lot like the Michigan game in 2018, I think we're going to score most of our points early and then be kind of playing defense the rest of the game. So that's my opinion. I'd love to hear more from uh, the listeners at home. Um, But uh, this has gone long. I think we should wrap it up. So big thanks to Jack and Cooper. I'll let you guys um, now just give a shout out to your personal uh, Twitter accounts, whatever social media you want to plug, as well as your podcast. So uh, take that away. Yep. So we launched a podcast uh, last week called Shake Down the Numbers. It's an analytically focused Notre Dame football podcast. Um, We plan on just doing two 20-minute episodes a week, very quick, kind of concise, give you the key numbers you need to know without getting too deep into a bunch of different statistics and kind of boring you to death. Um, So check us out there. We're trying to get on Apple Podcasts soon, but we're also um, on Spotify, on Anchor, on Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, a lot of different places. And you can follow us on Twitter at ND underscore FB underscore analytics. And we also are contributors at onefootdown.com, the SB Nation Notre Dame site. So you can check out um, kind of longer form previews and recaps there. Cool. Jack, do you want to plug your account or you guys, you guys have personal accounts too, if you want followings. Yeah, I don't use mine that much. Jack, you can plug yours. I use mine a bit. Jack and Cannon 9. A lot, lot of retweets from the, the analytics account. But if you want the occasional take from me in the middle of the week from my film study, that's, you know, that's that's up to you. But the, the main the main show is the, the analytics account. That's awesome, guys. Um, <laughs> well, first off, big thanks for having you on. I know it's something we've wanted for a while. Um, you guys are clearly articulate and intelligent and that's the kind of discussion we're i think all thankful to have and i think the listeners definitely appreciate that and we appreciate your time again in about 30 seconds when we hang up i will be apologizing for going an hour and 45 minutes um (laughs) so 
last thing I want to leave off on is the Four Horsemen podcast is planning something extremely special for tomorrow. If you are listening to this, if you're an early bird, Monday at noon, be on Twitter. Something big is happening. It'll be tremendous. Uh, and if I may, if you don't take it from me, in fact, the only people who know about this are the people in this podcast right now. Um, well, P Wagon, you should be reading messages. So, Jack and Cooper, you guys know what I'm talking about. Can you tell our audience how great this will be? Oh, it's so exciting. I'm not even going to sleep tonight. It's going to be unbelievable. Get to your phone, get to your laptop, get to your get to your Kindle, whatever you have. Going to be thrilling on the internet tomorrow. My heart's been racing for like the last three hours since you guys told us. So yeah, it's just it's exciting <laughs> stuff. See, see, it's not just me being a homer. The 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 unbiased <laughs> stats guys who pick against Notre Dame, by the way, shame on them. Um, they uh, they think it's cool too. So again, Monday, noon o'clock. Be on Twitter. It's going to be big. Eastern, Mountain, which one? Eastern, Eastern time, of course, um, because the three of us are on Eastern. Um, so I think that's it. I think that's a wrap. We got through a lot here. Um, big thanks to everybody um, who's listening. Big thanks to you guys for hanging in there with me. Um, anything else to say other than uh, just kind of go Irish? Uh, I hope Jack and I are wrong. So that's, that's yeah. all, I can, all I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. Fade, fade me always. If I pick Notre Dame, we'd be screwed. So. <laughs> <laughs> what about you two? Feels like 1988, baby. Let's go. I've said what I've had to say. Go Irish, beat Tigers. Go Irish, beat the Tigers. <laughs>